uh, Cecil um, taking my class last week, um, and especially the fact that he um, covered the uh, third missionary journey, which gives me time today to kind of bring everything to a close. I'm going to try to do, I tried to blend everything I wanted to do today uh, on this uh, thing page here, and I don't know how that'll work, but we'll see, so I don't have to be switching about so much. Paul's third missionary journey ended, and ends, and uh, uh, he goes up to Jerusalem in about 58 AD. He was, uh, at the close of his third missionary journey, he was in Miletus, you remember, Acts 20. The elders from Ephesus had come down to meet with him, and he gave the, he talked to them the uh, the speech of which is recorded there in the 20th chapter of the, of the book of Acts. And leaving Miletus, he sailed to Kos and then to Rhodes and Patera, sailed south. Um, south, he went, they sailed by Cyprus on the south and uh, landed at Tyre and Phoenicia, stayed there seven days. And, and uh, something interesting is said in that regard in the 21st chapter in verse 4, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Their entreaties of him not to go to Jerusalem were not dictated by the Spirit. For if that had been the case, it would have been his duty not to go to Jerusalem. So the knowledge they had of what awaited him in Jerusalem was supernatural. It was given them by inspiration. But their entreaties, their suggestions that he not go on into Jerusalem were just the result of their human judgment. In fact, we have an, uh, an example, somewhat of a divine commentary on what this uh, means uh, in, in the next few verses, because from Tyre, he went to Ptolemais, stayed one day, and then to Caesarea, where he stayed many days, we're told, at the house of Philip. Now, this is Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven that was chosen, you remember in Acts chapter 6, to serve, uh, serve the Grecian widows who were being uh, neglected. We're told that Philip, who lived there in Caesarea at the time, had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while he was there, there came down from Jerusalem to Caesarea a prophet named Agabus. And Agabus took Paul's belt, and with that belt he bound his hands and his feet, and then he said, prophetically, uh, thus, this is what's going to happen to the man who owns this belt when he gets to Jerusalem. They'll bind his hands and feet, and they'll, they will deliver him over to the Gentiles. So Agabus was a prophet. So by inspiration, by revelation, 
he was revealing to Paul what awaited him there. That's what had happened exactly a few days prior to that when he was in Tyre. Someone with, uh, by revelation had revealed to him, the, it had been revealed to them what awaited to him, and he, and based on that, they entreated him, they asked him not to go. The revelation, the knowledge of what was going to happen to him, as was the case here with Agabus, was divinely given. But their suggestions that he not go was, uh, was based on their, their human judgment. And, and in the 13th verse, Paul responded to those who urged him not to go by saying, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? For he said, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 21 and verse 13. So Paul goes on up to Jerusalem where he is arrested uh, in the temple. Uh, He's uh, beaten by the Jews, taken before the the Sanhedrin. And uh, it's in this connection in verse 11 of chapter 23 that we're told Jesus revealed himself to Paul and tells Paul that he will bear with... Is this just a little loud, maybe? I keep moving it down. Okay, is that... Well, I've moved it down too far. Is that better? Is that better? Is that a little better? Okay. Uh, Tells Paul that that he will bear witness of him in Rome. And so, in other words, I know they want to kill you. They're trying to kill you. But you will not be killed because you will bear witness of me in, uh, in uh, Rome. In this connection, we don't have time to discuss it a lot. I don't know what I could say about it if we did. But one of the more difficult passages in the book of Acts is related. It tells about Paul after his going up to Jerusalem and he relates again to the elders, James and the, those in uh, Jerusalem, how, what the Lord had been doing with them as they preached among the Gentiles and so forth. And James said to him, there, there are a bunch of... There are, in fact, the literal translation, I, I forget exactly the wording now in the Scripture, but the literal language is tens of thousands of Jewish Christians. Tens of thousands uh, 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 are being told that you are teaching people to, to forsake Moses. Uh, with regard to that number, while it no doubt is somewhat of a hyperbole, there, there were lots of Christians in Jerusalem. You remember in chapter 4, after, soon after Pentecost, we, we were told that there were 5,000 men alone, not counting women. Who, And then a couple of chapters over, they talk about the number multiplying. And so there were no doubt many thousands of Jewish believers in in Jerusalem. Not only those who resided there, but those who came and went. And this was probably, you know, Paul had wanted to get to Jerusalem in time for the Pentecost. And, uh, And so if he made it, this was at that time, and there'd be a lot of visitors there as well. So a lot of people... And so they encouraged him to join with these men who were taking this vow and, and pay for the, 
the sacrifices, which by the way, there are a couple of things here that indicate that, that Paul at this particular time had some money. Uh, don't know where it came from, whether he, he earned it making tents and, and it was able to keep some, whether his father it was an inheritance or, or whether some rich Christians had given it to him, but we're going to learn a little bit later on that when he gets to Jerusalem, he lives for two years in his own hired house, the Scriptures say. So he was able to, to, to pay for facilities for him to be housed in under guard uh, for the two years that he was imprisoned there. So just what this is, you know, when Paul had taught so clearly and so plainly that, that uh, certainly it had been decided that Gentiles were not required to keep the, the ceremonial part of the law, uh, but it does appear perhaps that, that uh, many Jewish Christians began to, I mean, continued to observe certain aspects of the law, and apparently there was nothing wrong with that as long as it did not try to make it a, a matter of salvation. And I'll just drop it there because, number one, I don't know a whole lot more than that, but number two, we don't have time to do That may be something that you'll want to read and study about on, on, on your own. Some even think that Paul made a mistake in doing that. Um, somewhat like Peter made that, 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 that we're going to talk about later, the mistake that's referred to in Galatians chapter 2. I, I don't know, I'm not particularly inclined to that. But anyway, it's an interesting reading and you may want to look into that some. But I mentioned all that to say this. It was in connection to his joining those four and going into the temple with them and paying for the sacrifices and so forth. On the last day when he had entered the temple, that's when these people approached him and as he, I guess, came out of the temple, they, they accused him. They accused him of taking Greeks into the temple. And if you read it carefully, it just what it says is they mentioned two Greeks that were in company with him, and it says that he had taken them as they had supposed that he had taken them into the temple. So they didn't actually know that he had, they just supposed. That's what they wanted it to, to look like, and it's easy for people to do that even today. But anyway to assume or, may, or suppose things that are not true. But they arrest him, they beat him, they want to kill him. He's taken to Governor Felix, who reigned from 53 to 60. Uh, they took him to Caesarea. Paul then spent two years in prison in Caesarea. Some of us was talking the other day, and I wish we had more time to... We haven't said a lot about this. But, but you just think about all these travels that Paul did. They did not have the modern means of travel that we do, obviously. I guess the best they could hope for would be a donkey or a horse to ride. Much of the time, I'm sure they were just walking. Perilous. People traveled in groups when at all possible because of, of robbers. And, uh, and, and Paul talks about having been robbed and beaten and all of that. And... Uh, just the physical rigors that Paul faced. And he, and he apparently was not a real strong person. You know, we've, we've already talked about that, some indications of that. And so, uh, something to, to think about. But imprisoned for two years there in Caesarea, then 
Then uh, in 60 AD, Festus became governor, and, and Paul was brought before him, and before him, Paul appeals to Caesar. Let's him know that he's a Roman citizen, and he appeals to Caesar. That was a way to make sure that he was not taken and given over to the Jews to be killed. Some days later, he appeared before Agrippa. And of course, you're familiar with what is related there about that. Then the voyage to Rome begins. Still a prisoner, they sail away from Caesarea to Sidon. We're going to look at a map at all this in just in just a, a minute or two. Um, but they sail to Sidon. He, Luke and Aristarchus are writ with him, according to Acts 27, verses 1 and 2. They're on their way to Italy. And they sail to Myra. We'll see that on the map in a minute, which, is, which is, would be today southern Turkey. And on, the, uh, and on to the large island of Crete, which is about 50 miles southeast of Greece. And uh, they spent much uh, time there, according to Acts 27, verses 7 to 13. In the fall of 60 A.D., they reach Melita, and we're going to learn more about all of this in just a moment, which was a small island of Sicily. And there, you remember, Paul was beaten, uh, bitten by a snake. Uh, he healed a number of people while he was there, still a captive. And uh, they spent the winter of A.D. 60 and 61 on the island of Miletus. And then in the spring, they sailed on to Syracuse on the island of, of uh, Sicily, uh, an island of Sicily, and then to Requiem, uh, southern tip of Italy, and then from there to Puteoli, on which was on the western coast of Italy, and then to uh, Appi Forum which was about 43 miles from uh, Rome. And a group of brethren from Rome, uh, I don't know how they learned that Paul was that close, but they did, and they went out from Rome to meet him as far as, uh, as this place. Um, and by the way, the remains of this city I've read uh, uh, still exist today. It was This city was built on the famous uh, Appian Way, the road into Rome. I've seen that road. I've walked on that road. Then, uh, then they went from there to three taverns, which was 10 miles nearer Rome, about the distance from here to where I live in Tallahassee, and another group of brethren who apparently left at a later time came out to meet them there. And then from there they went on to Rome. Now let's look at a map and see if I can blow this up just a little bit that'll help. I don't know if you can see this. Hope so. All right, here's uh, Caesarea down here. There it is. And then they sailed to Sidon. And then the, the scriptures say, if you look, uh, well, we'll look at it in a minute. Uh, they sailed on the lee of Cyprus. Now that means... The wind would be this way, so that, that meant that Cyprus was between them, uh, between uh, them and the wind, and so they sailed this way. Is the reason we know that they sailed on the lee of Cyprus to avoid the winds and up to Myra, 
And uh, what we're going to learn is that from Myra, normally they would have sailed across this way, down through here, over here somewhere, possibly in here. But the winds were not favorable. They, it talks about how that they were just going really slow, uh, slow along in here. And the word that is used there, so the winds were westerly, coming out of the west, and they were going slow, and it, the, the word that is used there in the original language probably means that they were tacking. Are you familiar with tacking? When you don't have a motorboat and you have only the wind to sail by, but you need to go in the direction from which the wind is coming, you can't do that if you just go straight. It'll blow you this way. But you tack. You know, they turn their sails slightly, and they'll go this way, and then they'll turn the t- sails slightly, and they go this way a while, and then you go three or four times the distance that you would have to go in a straight line to tack. So they were going slow, and uh, so then it says that they came down through here, and, the, and the, they just couldn't do this anymore. So they gave up to the winds and, and sailed down to Crete. Didn't, didn't intend to do that. They came to a place called Fair Haven. And uh, this was in the win- uh, nearing the winter. In, uh, well, let me do this now. Well, let's do this now. Let's see. All right, they, they came uh, at Fair Haven. Paul warns them that they shouldn't go on. That there's going to, they're going to be in grave danger and lose not only the ship and what it's carrying, but many lives as well. But they decide, but the centurion who's in charge of Paul and the other prisoners decide to take the word of the vessel captain. And so they, they go on. They don't want to, Fair Haven is not a, a good place to winter. So they hope to go, uh, let me get back over here. They, they hope to go to Phoenix, which is, which was a good place to winter. But, like Paul suggested, when they set sail from Fairhaven, hoping to go here, they got caught up in the winds. I wanted to show you a couple of uh, verses here that are just kind of interesting to me. Look at verse 10. Well, verse 8, And with difficulty, coasting along it, we came unto a certain place um, called Fairhaven, and and that's when he... uh, well, look at verse 9. This is one. And when much time was spent and the voyage was now dangerous because of the fast, was because the fast was now already gone by, Paul admonished them. This is referring to the atonement, Feast of Atonement. And, uh, and that usually occurred in, in what to us is the latter part of, of September. And uh, it was generally understood by seafaring people that it was dangerous to be on the seas from November through the middle of March. And so normally they, but they wanted to press on to, uh, to, uh, to uh, this better uh, place. Now I want you to look with me at verse 15. This is just uh, totally different from the subject. But when the ship was caught, they talk about this wind, so they sail away from Fairhaven. There are mountains 7,000 feet high just off the shore, 
and oftentimes strong winds come down off of those mountains. And they did at this time and caught the ship and wouldn't allow them to go to, to the, uh, the place they wanted to go. And they were caught up in it. And I wanted to show you a word here. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven. If you look at in your, uh, if you look in your, this is Robert's word picture. Look here, we're driven. He says literally, we're being born along. Now the interesting thing here is that's the same word translated in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 when it talks about holy men God of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That word moved is the same word here that's translated that this ship was born along. And so just as that ship was helpless to do what it wanted to do, they just, you know, it was just being born along by the winds these writers of Scripture, these inspired writers, uh, similarly were, were being uh, born along. And to me, that's always interesting how, we can, how the Scriptures can be somewhat of a commentary of itself. But, you know, they get in the storm here, 14 days or more in a storm, and, and Paul tells them the only way we're going to be, the Lord's appeared to me and said, no one will die if you'll stay in the ship, but you're going to lose the ship. So they do, after 14 days, they come here to, to Melita, and this is where the snake bites him, he heals people and so forth, and then they go on to Syracuse, here, 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 and finally um, to Rome. Uh, trying to think if there are other things I wanted to say about that. Maybe it'll come to me. Okay. So the voyage to Rome ends. Paul is now in Rome. He, he's wanted to go for a long time. Uh, the Lord answers his prayer. Maybe not exactly like he had wanted to because he goes as a prisoner. But uh, his, the first time he's a prisoner there for two years, he's in this house, like we say, that he rents. They have guards with him uh, round the clock, probably probably even chained to one of the guards. But it gives him a great opportunity, and we have an indication that many of those who were members of the Praetorian Guard became, became believers. Paul is going to use every opportunity, isn't he, to, to preach the Word. So he spends two years here. This would have been uh, 61. He, if they winter, uh, uh, if they were wanting to winter, uh, on the island of Crete in the winter of 60, and, and, and so it probably was 61 when, when they reached Rome, and he stayed there uh, until 63. During this time, as we'll see later, he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, sometimes, and then after his first imprisonment, he was released, and this is sometimes referred to as Paul's fourth missionary uh, journey. Um, it's after his release. He, he, he wrote First and Second Timothy and Titus, not necessarily in that order. Of course, Second Timothy would have been the last epistle that he wrote. Uh, uh, and and uh, all of this took place after the events that are recorded in Acts chapter in, in the book of Acts. So, how can we know these things? In fact, in a few minutes, I'm going to talk to you about some of the 
possible places that he have. Some have suggested that Paul might have uh, traveled as much between the first imprisonment and the second imprisonment as it did in all the other journeys put together. I don't know if that's true, but there is an indication that he went a lot of places, visited a lot of people during the time of, of his release. And we know that not because of, of what's recorded in Acts, because Acts ends with his first imprisonment. But we know it because of what we can pick up in the various epistles that, that he wrote. And so there, there are many clues uh, given in them. He may have traveled, traveled to places like Colossae, Spain, Corinth, Miletus, Troas, Crete, Nicopolis, Philippi, uh, Italy, Judah, uh, Judea, Ephesus, and, and Macedonia. Those are some of the places possibly uh, that, he, uh, that he traveled. Uh, and here's how we perhaps know this. And again, this is not intended to be in chronological order. I don't know if you would have any way of doing that because there are just references made in various... We think he traveled to Colossae because of something that's mentioned in Philemon uh, verse 22. Uh, Paul foresaw that he was going to be released and he tells them to prepare lodging for him. And Philemon and the letter to Philemon is known to the Colossians. We learn in Colossians 4 verse 9 and 4 verse 17. So there's a likelihood that he visited uh, this place after his first imprisonment. Also, while he was in prison, he wrote to those at Philippi. And he said that, that he may be coming to visit them. Again, we can't know for sure that he did, but he wanted to, and it's possible that, that Philippi was a place that he visited uh, following his first imprisonment. Paul makes mention uh, in the Roman letter of his desire to go to Spain. Uh, did he ever go to Spain? Well, the Scriptures don't tell us one way or another, so we really don't know. But there is things like, for example, Clement of Rome makes a, a, has a reference in one of his works to Paul and his travels, and he makes, reference, makes a reference that some people believe is a reference to Spain. And uh, some think that based on that, Paul did get to Spain. We don't know that, of course. At some point following his release from prison, Paul went to Corinth and to Miletus. We know that from 2 Timothy 4 and 20. It's all, it also appears that he visited Troas, uh, 2 Timothy 4 and 3, Crete, Titus 1 and 5, Nicopolis, Titus 3 and verse 12. Um, and then in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 3, Paul told Timothy to stay in Ephesus uh, when Paul went to Macedonia. And someone says, well, that may have been on his, one of his missionary journeys. But no, during the third missionary journey, Paul had done the very opposite from that. He stayed uh, in Ephesus himself and he sent Timothy along with Erastus to, to Macedonia. And so it appears that possibly uh, he, he traveled to those places as well. Um, Second Timothy 
was written during his second imprisonment, as we know from 2 Timothy 2 and verse uh, one, uh, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 80 makes mention of the fact that he's a prisoner. This, was, this letter was probably written in, in A.D. 66, and, uh, and he asked, you know, he, he, he makes the point in chapter 4 and verses 6 through 8 that he's ready to be offered. He asked Timothy to bring, uh, 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 to come to him before winter and to bring the cloak with him, you know, uh, that he that he had. Um, I don't know if any of you know Brother Paul D. Murphy, but he had a sermon that he would preach in gospel meetings entitled "Come Before Winter," and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful sermon. Uh, I, I wanted. Um, we've been talking about. I've been wanting to take some time to review with you the the epistles and when they may have been written and from where they may have been written. So I've chosen to do this, breaking it down in blocks for you to uh, missionary journeys, the, uh, the, the journeys during which he wrote epistles, and then after the journeys, the imprisonments, and so forth. So group one is, uh, relates to his second missionary, no, wrote no epistles, so far as we know, during his first missionary journey. But during his second missionary journey, he wrote, uh, uh, he wrote, we know he wrote first and second Thessalonians uh, from Corinth, and the time of, of writing those was somewhere along here, 50 to 51, 52 AD. He was in Corinth when he wrote these. I've got Galatians here because Galatians may be, and, and you may remember Brother Cecil sometime back gave a good. Uh, uh, accounting for his uh, belief that uh, Galatians was the first epistle written years ago when I taught Galatians to undergraduate students and made a pretty much a pretty thorough study of it I pretty much came to that conclusion myself I don't think I'm quite as certain about it today as I am as I was then but as I've told you before I think you'd probably be safer Go on what Brother Cecil says and what what I say, but uh, it was um, if if it was written first, and, and, and if we got time this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, then it was probably written somewhere in forty eight forty nine uh, A.D. and it was probably written between his first and second, uh, uh, or at the latter part of his first journey, or before his second journey, may have been written from Antioch of Syria but it would have been written somewhere between around 48, 49 A.D., making it the first uh, epistle written. And we'll, like I say, we'll talk more about that. And these two uh, letters here deal with what we call eschatology, the doctrine of last matters, death, judgment, particularly the resurrection of Jesus Christ. deals with other things too, but that's uh, kind of... Uh, Big issue in those. Then in the third missionary journey, uh, he writes First and Second Corinthians. First Corinthians from Ephesus, Second Corinthians probably from Macedonia, and he writes Romans, uh, probably from Corinth. Um, and these books were written somewhere in this range here, fifty-five 
to 57 A.D. And those who don't believe that Galatians was the first epistle written, many of them place it in this period here. In fact, one of the reasons some people think that it was written at this time is because of how similar Galatians and Romans are. Very similar. Um, and I don't know that that's... But that, that's the reasoning that some, that some people have for placing it. There are other reasons too, but that's one. But anyway, if it was written later, it may have been written along about this time. These epistles uh, deal with the uh, soteriology, which has to, is the doctrine of salvation through Christ. Uh, at, um, so... That would be a second group that I'd call your attention. Then a, a third group would be Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. And this would be during the period, as we suggested, uh, uh, and this should be 61 to 63 here. I meant to go back and change that, but I didn't. Somewhere between 61 and 63, he was in prison, and he wrote these epistles during that time. And the the... the Theme, one of the big themes of these is, is what we refer to as Christology, dealing with the nature, the person, the deeds of Christ. For example, Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16, uh, speaks of Christ, for He is the very image of God, the firstborn from the dead. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, they were all uh, created by Him and for Him, and in Him all things adhere. And so, talking about the preeminence of Christ, His nature, He's the very image of God, as if, you know, I used to have a stamp with my name on it, that I would, you know, stamp a letter or something, and, and you... You, you hit that thing on a piece of paper and it would leave an image exactly like that stamp. Christ is the very image of, 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 the, of, of the invisible God. We may not be able to see God, but in the person of Christ, we see Him not how God is physically. He doesn't, he doesn't have a physical body, but the kind of person He is. Who God is and what God is like. We can know when we look at Christ. That That is... Uh, those are the. That's something that's mentioned and, and highlighted in, in a lot of these epistles. And then finally, we have um, the fourth period. This would be his release from his first imprisonment, and he and uh, <coughs> and then his second imprisonment and and subsequent death. Uh, he would he would have been released if, if he was released in sixty three and then and then arrested again in sixty seven or something like that. He was free then for what four years or so, during which he made all these travels that we talked about. And uh, he writes during this time of uh, when he was of release. He writes First uh, Timothy from Macedonia. He writes Titus. Uh, from Corinth, probably some think maybe Ephesus, uh, and then of course when he's imprisoned again and before his death, he writes Second uh, Timothy, and and uh, 
these talk a lot about uh, ecclesiology, that is the, the study of Christ's people, the church, and all that relates to the church. I write these things to you, he said to Timothy, that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is uh, the church of God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so uh, uh, that's kind of a theme uh, in those uh, in those epistles. So that gives you a little bit of a breakout um, of uh, the 13 epistles, and we'll not talk about Hebrews. I'll let uh, Cecil talk to you about that sometime. <laughs> it was it, brother. Uh, was it, brother Cecil? Was it um, who was it that wrote his own? Uh, uh, yeah, someone asked him who wrote Hebrews. What did he say? Do you remember? That's right. <laughs> he said, I don't know who did, but Paul said he didn't. <laughs> so, right. I, when I was in school, uh, my teacher, oh, I don't know, I, I couldn't understand why we spent so much time on who wrote Hebrews, but we did, and he strongly believed it was, it was Paul. But uh, I'm kind of like Brother McCord. I, I don't know who, it, who wrote it. Okay. Well, uh, just a little bit of time, and we, well, we may not have time. I was going to talk to you. The, 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 if you want to do a little study on your own, when you're looking at this question of when, when was Paul written, you also have to look at the question, to whom was it written? And it, and it revolves around trips um, that Paul mentions in Galatians 2, and trips that are recorded, his trips to Jerusalem that are recorded in the book of Acts. And, uh, and it also, uh, to whom was, he, did, was it written? Uh, was it written to Galatia, uh, meaning uh, the, the ethnic people of the, the, the uh, descendants of the Celts and the Gauls who had conquered the, the land in about three, uh, third century B.C.? Or, or was it written to Galatia, the province of Galatia. And, and most people nowadays, until about the, well, for many, many centuries, most people believe the first. And going along with that would be a later writing. But most people now believe, based a lot on the works of Ramsey and others, that, that, that it refers to the province, uh, and that would include uh, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and, and those churches that he visited that we know about. And uh, if, if that's the people to whom he wrote, which a lot of people believe that's true, that, then it would be an earlier right. I want to call your attention to one verse in Galatians 2 uh, that, that uh, I just can't pass it up without us. Galatians 2 and 14. The reference, you know, is in connection with Paul uh, facing Peter about the way he would eat with the Gentiles until people from Jerusalem came up and then he withdrew uh, and caused the dissimulation there. And in verse 14, there's a very important verse. Galatians 2 and verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, 
If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles? But notice, notice that. I, I, wanna, I want you to look at this, at this verse with me. Um, Galatians 2 and 14. And, I, and here's the note that I've written about it. Genuine acceptance of the truth is reflected in the way we live. You cannot divorce. You cannot... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? There is a connection in the acceptance of the gospel, acceptance of truth, and the way we live. When I saw, he said, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. If you believe the gospel, if you accept the gospel, if I believe and accept the gospel, there is a lifestyle that goes along with that. Paul said in Philippians 1.27, Let your manner of life, the way you live, be such that becometh, what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why in the book of Romans, the first part of it, Paul goes into depth, into the fundamentals of salvation by grace through faith. Deep, deep stuff. But then beginning in chapter 12, throughout the rest of the book, he talks about what? The practical application of believing the gospel of Christ. How does one live? They're connected. Very important. Well, that's Paul, his uh, life, and and, uh, I hope it was helpful and beneficial in some way. Thank you very much.